This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is the topic, God has called me to the mission field, what now? When I came with Baptist World 14 years ago, it was one of those questions that I very quickly started getting by both pastors and church members about why do we still do what we do in the matter of missions? I mean, why are missionaries going around raising deputation? Isn't deputation broken? What's this thing called furlough? I mean, we have technology. Why do the missionaries have to come home and and be on the road reporting to their churches? The why, the why, the why. And it occurred to me that a lot of the people asking those questions were not malicious, They simply did not understand the process of God has called me to the mission field, what now? And so as I prayed about it, and we talked about it with our administrators, I have five assistants who are administrators of different regions of the world, and uh, we we brainstormed about this, and I came up with a 12-step plan relating to God has called me to the mission field, what now? Now let me say up front, that 12-step plan has nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous, okay? In case you're wondering, it just happened to be 12 steps. So a subtitle of this could be, uh, God has called me to the mission field, what now? It could be 12 steps to becoming a BWM missionary. Now I will say this, that these 12 steps have parallels probably in most of the mission agencies that, like Baptist World, believe that it is the local church that sends the missionary. Folks, can I say it very clearly? Baptist World does not send missionaries. Local churches send missionaries. And Baptist World comes alongside local churches to help their local churches get the missionaries to the field and to be successful on the field. But we never supplant the local church in its authority. And that's really important. Now, the reason I say that is there are mission agencies in fundamental circles that do not have that philosophy. There are missionary agencies that believe that when the local church uh, turns the missionary over to them, they have absolute authority over the missionary. And folks, that is not New Testament. That is not biblical. And so the things I'm going to be talking about probably are paralleled by most of the agencies that believe, like Baptist World, that the local church is the priority in the sending of the missionary. So, God has called me to the mission field, what now? Well, number one, we believe that the missionary needs to solidify their call, and that is based on Acts 13, 1 and 2. So if you would turn there with me, please. When I was asked by Dr. Fred Moritz to become his successor at Baptist World Mission, I had served on the board for many years, and I was on at the time on the executive committee. And uh, Dr. Moritz and the executive committee uh, were drafting a plan for succession for Dr. Moritz, how we would choose his replacement. And so the board said, uh, we want you, Brother Stedman, and Dr. Moritz to write a plan. And so Dr. Moritz and I got together and he said, Bud, you just write the plan and I'll sign off on it. So I worked very hard. I was pastoring and I wrote a plan of succession, how we would get from Dr. Moritz having no replacement to a replacement, what the steps would be, the vetting process. I wrote all of those documents. Dr. Moritz signed off on them and the board approved them. 
And then about a month later, Dr. Moritz came through South Bend, Indiana, where I was pastoring, and he put a folder on the table that contained that document that I had written, and he said, I want you to be my replacement. And I almost fell off my chair. I didn't expect it. And so I began to pray. And one of the things I began to pray about, Lord, you have called me to be a pastor. Do you want me to leave pastoring to become a mission administrator? And so I went back and I evaluated the call of God in my life and I realized that the call of God that I'd had when I was 15 years old was to the gospel ministry and that pastoring was a part of that. And yes, after studying the book of Acts for almost a year before I gave Dr. Moritz an answer, I concluded that it was legitimate for there to be a missionary administrator with the call of God to serve missionaries. But folks, the emphasis I want to make is that that decision is rooted in the theology that God must call the missionary. There are a lot of people today who are minimizing that. I know of one pastor in the Detroit area who basically said, God does not call people to ministry. It's about your decision-making. Folks, it is not about decision-making. And we know that from the, the argument of Acts 13 because here are the first two missionaries and they are called by God. Look at verse 1, Acts 13. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have what? Called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So the question is, what does it mean to receive a call? Excuse me a second, I'm sorry. Hello. Hey, sis, how you doing? This is my oldest daughter. Uh, yeah, I, I can't talk right now. I'm actually speaking to a bunch of preachers. Okay, I'll call you back. Love you. Bye-bye. Now, do you know what that was? That was a call. That was a pretend call. It wasn't real. But it was a call. Now, if that had been my daughter, Sarah, our oldest, and she had been calling me, I would know intuitively that a call is one person communicating to another person. It may happen through a phone. It may happen from the top of the stairs to the basement. It may happen from the front to the back of the auditorium. But a call is essentially a person communicating with another person. And folks, should we be surprised that the God who created us with the ability to receive a call is willing to call? Should that surprise us? We understand the call to salvation, don't we? You remember the day you had the call to salvation? It always comes through the preaching of the word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is not apart from that. But I remember when I was 10, year, 10 years old as an unchurched boy, invited to vacation Bible school, and I heard the gospel, and the Spirit of God worked in my heart, and God called me to himself in salvation. So how can we be surprised that God would call a missionary? Now, we must reject mysticism. We must reject a form of Christian existentialism that makes it all about how I feel because that is the core of Pentecostalism. We can't go down that path. But there is a real God who communicates to his people. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. So what does the voice of God sound like? It sounds just like the Bible. 
And God will always speak to his people through the word of God. That is his authoritative revelation. There is no new revelation today. There is no a new Pentecostal addition to the scripture today. God speaks through his word. But there is such a thing as the call of God. Now, it's interesting. I have a pastor friend who said that the call of God was only for the apostolic era and the call of God was only for the apostles. But you know, it's, it's interesting that in the New Testament, both Barnabas and uh, also, uh, who was the other guy I was writing down? Silas, as missionaries, they received a call from God, and neither of them were one of the 12 apostles. So that argument falls apart. So let's look at this word called. Did you know that here in the verse, verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The Greek word is kaleo. And we even hear the word call in that word kaleo. It is used four times vocationally in the New Testament. Two of those do not relate to us directly today. Romans 1.1, Paul called to be an apostle. We're not apostles in that sense. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul called to be an apostle. There were apostles. Paul was one of those born out of due time. We're not apostles. But the other two usages vocationally of the word kaleo both relate to missions. So we have the authority of God's word to say that a missionary should be called. The first is here in Acts 13. The second is in Acts 16 where Paul and Silas on the second missionary journey are wondering what the next door is because God's been shutting doors and the Holy Spirit through a vision of a Macedonian calls Paul and the ministry team into Macedonia. So you have there the use of the word kaleo, a vocational call of the missionary to missions, and then a locational call to a new area of service and missions. And do we not understand that? You know, when I was pastoring in Raleigh, North Carolina, I was very happy there. I had no plans to go anywhere else. Uh, but in the providence of God, a very long story, God directed me to South Bend, Indiana, and that church called me to a new location of ministry and God was in that and so I was called when I was 15 to the gospel ministry that was a vocational call and I was called when I was uh, 40 years old to pastor in South Bend Indiana that was a locational call and both of those are valid and important that's why these missionaries need to know where they're called but they also need to know where they're called now, it may not be to an individual city, but certainly to a country or a region or a people group because God is taking out people for his namesake and he's the one who directs by calling, and that is very important. So the first step is a missionary needs to know about their call. So there are three questions we like to ask about this. Number one, is it a burden or is it a call? Now, we need to distinguish between this because people can be emotionally motivated by a dynamic speaker, and they can have a burden and think it's a call. So what is the difference? A call is from without. It is God speaking. A burden is from within. It is your emotional response to something that God is putting before your eyes or before your understanding. You know, when I've seen the missionary presentations this week, I, I develop a burden for those places. I mean, it's just my heart response. But that is not the same thing as God calling me. God's call is from without. A burden is from within. 
Dr. Daryl Champlin, who was one of my heroes, a, a long-term missionary to African Suriname, he's with the Lord now, he said this, he said, a burden will fail you, but a call will chase you to the end of the world. You know, a lot of missionaries go to the field and they, they think the people are going to be waiting for them there on the, on the, uh, on the port and saying, oh, Americans, we're so glad to have you. We welcome you. You're our heroes. We want to believe your gospel. You know, they're kind of, some are kind of naive about that. And then they get there and nobody wants them there and they hate the Americans and the food is bad and, and it's dirty and, and we found out this week you can't even find light bulbs uh, and, uh, you know, so life is hard. A burden can fail, but a call from God will chase you to the end of the world. So a burden or a call. Number two, call to do what? This is a really important question. You know, we have all the time, we go to Bible colleges to recruit, and we have young people who say, you know, God's called me to be a missionary, and I say, well, tell me about it. And they say, well, I, I want to go teach in a Christian school on the mission field, or I want to go as a nurse and work in the hospital. And there's a lot of confusion about what a missionary is biblically. My wife and I were going down to Haiti uh, to visit Rodney Fitzsimmons, one of our missionaries there a number of years ago. And across the aisle was a, a, boy, a guy with a cowboy hat, a young man. And uh, I said to him, we were flying through Dallas, I said to him, why are you going to Haiti? He said, I'm a missionary. I said, really, tell me about it. He's from Oklahoma. He had some oil wells and things. And he said, I'm a missionary. I, I go down to Haiti twice a year and I feed hungry kids. Well, let me ask you a question. Is he a missionary? We have to define the concept biblically, though the word is not used specifically with a definition. But we understand the concept here is really a three-legged stool that Paul presents to us, and we need to articulate what a missionary is. The three-legged stool of missions, I alluded to it the other night in the conference. When I was growing up on the farm in Tennessee, my dad believed in his boys working, and so I started milking cows by hand when I was 10. And I found that a three-legged stool worked really well. A two-legged stool was worthless. It would fall over when you stood up and never was there when you needed it. And a four-legged stool, that fourth leg gets between you and the cow where you're working, and it makes it worthless. But a three-legged stool is perfect for doing the job. And Paul has a three-legged stool of missions that we must not add a fourth leg to and call it missions. We can't take away one of the legs and it still be missions. The three-legged stool is evangelism, discipleship, which includes leadership training, and church planting. That is God's program. And missionaries should be involved in those three things. Now, I think a guy can go to the mission field and teach in a seminary if he's evangelizing, discipling, and church planting. I believe a nurse can go to the mission field and, and even work in a clinic if, she, if she's evangelizing and discipling and being a part of the church planting team. But we have got to keep the definition clear about the call of God and the nature of a missionary. That is really important. And then finally, call to go where? You know, we've talked about the call of God. You know, going to the mission field on survey trips is absolutely a wonderful thing. But you know, the early missionaries didn't have the opportunity to make pre-filled visits. So how did they get their authority for knowing God had called them to India or to Myanmar? They did it by hearing the voice of God. And I'm all in favor of pre-filled ministry. As a matter of fact, what pre-filled ministry does today, it helps validate or affirm the call of God 
but it can never replace the call of God. So the missionary, the first question we ask a prospective missionary is, tell us about your call. And if they're fuzzy on the call, they're not ready to go to the mission field. It is critical. So that's only the first of 12 points. I will get through the others more quickly, believe me. But that is foundational. Secondly, I want you to see, after solidifying the call, there is the matter of surrendering your life. Okay, and it's coming up. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We won't go to all of these passages for the sake of time, but you know Romans 12. It is the beginning of that section of the book of Romans, that theological book which deals with service. And Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It is the concept of surrendering the life to do the will of God that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, the surrender of the life. Now, there is a phenomena taking place in fundamental circles today that makes me think that some of us think that we're Mormons. So let me ask you a question. Are independent Baptists Mormons? No, they're not. You say, what are you referring to? You know, the Mormons, my wife grew up in Mormon country in New Mexico. Her father planted a church in Mormon country. Uh, and they have this idea that you, you go through life and then when you become a young adult, you do a short-term mission trip and that is all of your obligation to the matter of missions and the will of God and then you go and you live the rest of your life however you want to live. You know, there are a lot of young people coming out of Bible college today who are saying, you know, I really want to make a lot of money. I really want to have a nice house and a car. I know God has called me into the ministry, but, you know, I can, I can do short-term mission trips. Or maybe I can work in the church as a volunteer and then really give my life to the pursuit of something else. Folks, if God calls you, give your life to it. You know, when I surrendered to preach and began to prepare, I did not have the mentality that, well, I'm going to become a business major, so in case I bomb in preaching, I can, you know, go out and make some money. I never once thought of that because God had spoken to me through his word about giving my life to full-time gospel ministry. And I believe that is so very, very critical today, folks. Trying to, trying, you know, I'm going to go to the mission field and try it for one term and see how it works out. Don't send that person to the field. They need to understand there is the matter of surrendering the life. And then number three, after surrendering the life, it is important to solicit your local church's confirmation. And this is found here in Acts 13, 2 and 3. Notice it says, As they ministered to the Lord, referring to the five on the pastoral staff there at uh, uh, Antioch, they were, they were ministering to the Lord. That means they were serving the Lord. They were fasting. They were waiting on the Lord. The Holy Spirit said to the church, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work run to I have called them. What you have here is actually a dual call. You have some time previous to this happening, God individually calling Paul and Barnabas. That is the, in the tense and the use of the word call. It had already happened. Now God is calling the church to send them. And that is critical in our understanding that God never calls a missionary, but he also calls the church to lay hands on them and to send them away. It is the church that has that authority for the sending of the missionary. 
So the missionary candidate who is looking to go to the field needs to solidify their call. They need to know their call. They need to surrender their life commitment to that. And then they need to solicit their local church's confirmation. You know, it was interesting when I was pastoring, and we had, we had many folks sent from our church in North Carolina and also in Indiana to the mission field. When I left uh, to come with Baptist World, at that time we had seven families out of our church in Indiana on the foreign field. And so it was a joy to see that happening. But here's the way it usually happened. We had one deacon whose name was Jim. God was working in his life. He was a soul winner. He was a deacon. He was faithful. And I knew God was working in his life. And he came in one day in tears and said, Pastor, God is calling my wife and me to the mission field. And I said, I know. Because we've been watching you. And, you know, probably everybody in the church knows it's going to happen. And what took you so long? Okay. Folks, that's the way it ought to happen, where the church is seeing the call of God upon someone's life. Now, if it happens this way, the person comes in and says, uh, Pastor, God's called me to the mission field, and the pastor says, uh, uh-uh, then that hasn't happened properly. Something is wrong with that scenario. So the missionary candidate needs to solicit the local church's confirmation. Look at verse 3. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And that word sent there has the idea of many forms of enablement. And we don't have time. That's a whole other message to get into that. So number three, solicit your local church's confirmation. Then number four, you select a mission board. Okay, good, it's coming up. So you know you've been called, you've given your life to that, you've solicited your local church's confirmation, you select a mission board. The verse we want to look at here, a couple of pages over, is Acts 15, 41. You say, where does a mission agency come into the role of the New Testament church sending missionaries? I believe this personally is the passage that gives validity to that. This is after Paul and Barnabas have come back from the first missionary journey. Uh, they have uh, reported to the church at Antioch. They have gone through the council of Jerusalem. That has taken place. Now they're back at Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas have this big fight over John Mark, which is a very interesting study. And so Barnabas takes John Mark and sails for Cyprus. Paul chooses Silas and is commended by the church to go on the second missionary journey, which tells me it implies that the church sided with Paul and Silas, though later we find that John Mark had become profitable, and that is a wonderful testimony of God's grace. But then something, after they're ready now to go on the second missionary journey, verse 40 of chapter 15, And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God, and went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Now look at verse 41. What word is used for those congregations that have been established on the first missionary journey? They're called what? Churches. They are churches. They have been organized. They have been planted. They apparently have pastors. And yet Paul, as a missionary, goes back alongside local churches that he had planted and they had become autonomous, and he seeks to strengthen them. Now this is a very important theological point relating to the role of a missionary. 
Folks, we have got to expect our missionaries to plant indigenous autonomous churches with national leadership. But turning the church over the national leadership does not mean abandonment of that church by the missionary. Sometimes missionaries, you know, just turn everything over and they abandon the church and the church flounders because that leader needs mentoring. And so Paul, on his second missionary journey, goes back not as the church planter, that's already established, but as a missionary who's coming alongside an established church to strengthen the church. And the word confirmed means strengthen, to do something the church cannot do for itself. So here we have a principle. There is a place for a missionary or we might call an admissionary administrator or even a church agency to come alongside established churches and do something that they cannot do themselves. Okay, so let me illustrate that. Uh, let me pick one of the men. Who is actively pastoring? Okay, raise your hand. You're actively pastoring right now. Okay, I'm going to pick on Brother Carnes. He'll be a good one for this. Brother Carnes, let me ask you a question. I'm, I'm going to set up a scenario, and you tell me what you would do. You have a missionary sent out from your church to Peru, South America. It is Thanksgiving Day. The office of the church is closed. You are carving the turkey. And your missionary is not sent with a mission agency. They're sent just from your church. Your church is the only entity that really interacts with them. And you get a call from that missionary wife saying, my husband is dying, and we need an emergency medical evacuation flight today. What would you do? Where would your contact be in Peru? Okay, it, it would probably affect the carving of your turkey, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Now, let me, that, that's a good answer. He would begin to work on that. But let me tell you what really happened in the story that I'm alluding to. We have a missionary couple, Buddy and Lorraine Fitzgerald, serving in Peru. They're out of Faith Baptist Church in Taylor, South Carolina. Uh, Buddy is a church planter in the jungles of Peru, uh, we had the Baptist World Mission office closed. It was Thanksgiving. I was sitting uh, in a, a prophet's chamber in Kenya visiting our missionaries there. Mike Willowput, our financial director, was on the road to Wisconsin to be with his family. Nobody was in the home office. Uh, but our missionaries have our cell phone numbers. So Mike gets a call, frantic call from Lorraine uh, Fitzgerald saying, Buddy has hemorrhagic dengue fever, which is a type that can be fatal. And the doctors were fearful for his life. They'd gotten him up to Lima, the capital city, and he was in, in very dangerous condition. And she said, we need a private jet and an emergency medical evacuation today. Mike said, I will call you right back. He called me on my cell phone in Kenya and said, we need emergency medical evacuation. Can we do it? I said, go. I literally said one word and hung up the phone. He called Loren back. Within a few hours, we had a private jet on the tarmac in Lima with nurses on board, IVs. We flew Buddy and his family to Miami. Buddy was in intensive care for a week. When they got to Miami, Lorraine and the smallest child at the time had a milder form. They were hospitalized, and today that entire family is serving the Lord in the jungles of Peru. I sat across from... Uh, Lorraine's pastor, Travis Smith, who pastors Hildesdale Baptist Church in Tampa. That's where she grew up. He's like a father to her. 
and he serves on our board, and I sat across from him a few years ago, and he began to weep. We were at a fellowship meeting, and I thought, Travis, what are you weeping about? And he said, Bud, I, I don't think I've ever thanked you for saving Buddy's life. He said, because our church couldn't have done it. And we have contacts, and, and I said, Travis, I didn't save his life. The real hero of the story is the pastor who understands his limitations, and he's willing to partner with someone who can confirm or strengthen the church. We have a contract with a group of people that today, without any further than one call, they can put a plane anywhere in the world on the ground for an emergency medical evacuation. That flight cost, of Buddy Fitzgerald, cost $40,000. And we were able to say to the home church, no charge. Because every missionary pays into a little contingency fund, we have those assets available. Now we have insurance that pays for most of it because we played hardball with our insurance company. So my point is, there are reasons that a mission agency, if it has the right philosophy, can come alongside a church and help the church do something that it doesn't have to worry about. By the way, did you know that if you receive money from other churches for your missionary sent by your church and you have Aunt Bertha handling that money, Aunt Bertha is considered uh, a, a, an agent of the Internal Revenue Service as far as accountability. And if Aunt Bertha doesn't handle that money properly, it is called money laundering, and Aunt Bertha and the pastor can go to jail. We don't want local churches to have to bear that burden. We have staff accountants who take courses every year on how to deal with the IRS so that missionaries and churches don't have to do that. So how do you select a mission board? You ask your pastor. You go to your pastor and say, Pastor, who should we work with as a mission agency and understanding those reasons? Pastoral involvement is critical because the local church is the sending entity. So number five, you select, uh, number four, you select a mission agency. Uh, we've answered the question, why a mission agency and dealt with pastoral involvement. Okay, let's go to number five here. Number five is when a missionary has... Uh, confirmed their call, they've surrendered their life, they've, they've had the church's confirmation, they've selected Baptist World, then they send their application to the board. It's a process. It involves a candidate questionnaire. It involves a doctrinal affirmation. We, we do a little mini ordination council to make sure that that person uh, understands doctrinal issues. We require a home church certification letter, personal references, we uh, get a medical history. I think it's going to come up. Yeah, a personal history and a medical history. And while it's coming out, there we go. Uh, all of those things take a few months. And so the missionary applies, and we begin to work through a detailed uh, study of that missionary to determine if they are, in fact, worthy of going to the field. Now, we don't make the determination if they've been called. They have to decide if they've called. Their church has to decide if they've called. We just want to know about their call. 
But we as a mission do have certain requirements if we're going to partner with that missionary in the church. And so once that has happened, then number six, they secure board appointment. What is the board appointment? They come, we have two annual meetings. Uh, it's really funny. We call them annual meetings twice a year. They're really biannual. But we meet in April and we meet in October. We have our next meeting next week uh, at one of our host churches of one of our 32 board members. Uh, Chuck Phelps at uh, Colonial Hills in Indianapolis will be gathering there next week. And uh, we have new missionary appointees coming this year. Uh, we have, I think, uh, three candidates that will be there and a fourth that we're doing remotely uh, but uh, for, for this fall meeting. And they will meet with the board. That will involve a personal interview by a subcommittee. It'll involve a doctrinal review by a subcommittee. And then it will involve their testimony before the full board, hopefully with their pastor present. You know, we invite the pastor of every missionary that comes to apply to Baptist World to be a part of the entire process because, after all, we're helping the church. And I don't know if other agencies do that, but we do it because we feel that relationship is very, very important. So once they have gone through that process at the board, then if they pass, they're given the right hand of fellowship, they're officially approved, they're officially a BWM missionary on deputation. Sometimes it's a little bit nerve-wracking for people to come in. And uh, I, I told one of our missionaries sometimes back, how do you know how many people are in the room? Because we have 32 board members and uh, seven or eight administrative people. How do you know how many people are in the room? You count their eyeballs and divide by two. You know, we don't have anybody that wears a patch, so that works out okay. But, you know, the reality is we have very strong accountability before we lay hands. We don't do the laying on of hands, the church does, but metaphorically speaking, before we authorize them to bear the BWM uh, identification. So they send their application, they secure board appointment. Then number eight, immediately they begin to strategize with their accountability leaders. And uh, we won't turn there, but you know the passage for the sake of time. You know the passage in Luke 14, 28 through 32. No man goes to war but he first sits down and counts the cost. Nobody builds a tower, but they first sit down and build uh, and count the cost. So they begin to strategize with their accountability leaders, which involves several things. It involves, first of all, establishing a realistic support budget. Okay? You know, a lot of missionaries uh, don't understand without a lot of instruction and help all the expenses they're going to encounter on the field. So they begin to strategize. Because when a missionary is appointed by Baptist World and they have their first meeting in two weeks, guess what the pastor is going to usually ask them? How much do you need to raise? And if they say, I have no idea, that's a bad answer. So it's going to take us a few weeks to help form a budget and to help them to understand about the budgeting process and what's involved in that. So in the budgeting process, we talk about how you handle funds. You know, what do you do when, when a little lady comes up to the church and gives you cash? What do you do with that? How do you handle money for a biblical accountability? And we have policies concerning that. Uh, when do you start <clears throat> being on the missions insurance program? Uh, how, do you, how do you handle insurance until you're on the missions insurance program? Uh, how do you prepare outfit and passage? There is so much that is involved in understanding a realistic support budget. Uh, we had four families that came to Baptist World a few years ago from another agency that was not able to help them. 
uh, and they are all serving in the Dominican Republic. And so Mike Williquid and I, he's our financial director, we flew down to the Dominican and we ran a little mini workshop for several days with these four families to help them to get on the ball. They were all very poorly supported. The monies were not being handled properly by the previous agency. We got them straightened out. And today, almost all of them are much more heavily supported because of the good policies of BWM. It's helping the missionaries in the church. So establishing a realistic church bu uh, uh, support budget, then also establishing expectations concerning practical life issues. Uh, where are you going to live until you're at 30% support and you can afford uh, to not have a job? Are you going to keep your job? Or are you, how are you going to do that? Uh, is your family going to travel with you? Are you going to van school? Are you going to homeschool? Are you going to trailer school? How are you going to do that? And so we began to talk with them about expectations. It's part of strategizing early on because they're going to be asked questions early on. So after that is done, then there's more work. They study for the future. Uh, we have mission training seminars conducted by the board. Uh, we have uh, something we call orientation, which is a week a boot camp. Uh, the missionary is on deputation. Have to come two years in a row. We have a week of family conference. Uh, Dr. Alan Griffith comes and for a week teaches our missionaries about family life on the field. We have a week of soul winning uh, training. We use the exchange program, and uh, so we help prepare the missionaries according to Second Timothy chapter two in the area of preparation for the future. And it's coming. It's coming a little slow, but we're going to get there. So number eight, you study for the future. We have personal study. We have field study, pre-field trips. Those all come under this point. Then number nine, and we'll get there. I think we're frozen up. It may be coming, uh, is we'll get to soliciting prayer and financial support. So after the missionary is appointed, we've done that initial Try to help them get started. We talk about things to get. Once they get started, there's ongoing training. But they hit the road to begin to raise support. And that is based on Philippians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, Paul's uh, great appeal concerning support. And so they solicit prayer and financial support. The demands, and I'm just going to quit that because it's not advancing. Uh, the demands of deputation are three. I always tell our missionaries there are three requirements for deputation. And if you want to know about them, you might want to write these down. You call, you call, and you call. Okay. Now, uh, that is a big part of it. Of course, we understand prayer. We understand partnership. And local churches can do so much to help their missionaries by communicating as a pastor for your missionary to help them get that support. But it is really, really important, and I see now we're catching up here. So after you solicit prayer and financial support, you're communicating effectively. Then number 10, you sanctify your commission. And we're back to Acts chapter 13. So you can flip back there if you would. Verse 3, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. This is a commissioning service. And we believe that a commissioning service is still a very important service. BWM does not commission missionaries. Local churches do. But we often as administrators are involved. I just had the blessing two years ago of being invited to uh, Lighthouse Baptist Church in South Bend, Indiana, one of our sister churches, pastored by one of the young men that came up as one of our Timothys. And he is, has sent a missionary couple to Uganda. 
Joe and Lindsay Reisinger. Uh, Joe was saved in our ministry in South Bend. I was his family's pastor. I baptized him, and he grew up, and God called him to the mission field. Lindsay was saved in our ministry. I baptized her as a child. We discipled her. She grew up in our ministry. They grew up to be adults. They got married, and today they're serving in the West Nile region of Uganda. It was such a joy to be a part of the commissioning service for Joe and Lindsay. Folks, there's no greater delight than to see God doing that work. So sanctifying their commission. And then number 11, after the church has laid hands on them, they're, they're fully supported, they're ready to go to the field, what is the next thing they do? They study the language. Baptist World Mission requires that our missionaries get a year of language acquisition, at least in the beginning. There are lots of different ways that that can be done. We prefer for them not to get it on the field of service where they're going, so they don't get there without language and they become a gopher for the veteran missionary. We don't want that to happen. But there are creative ways that you can get language acquisition to begin to be functional in the ministry. Folks, if we do not understand the language, we will not understand the people. God communicated his word in human language and a missionary must get the language. But it really is a lifetime acquisition of that language, but it is critical that they begin by studying the language. And then finally, they set off for the field. After they have their language acquisition, they begin the ministry with the veteran person with whom they're teaming. I have a statement I put up in closing on the, the thing here, and it didn't come out quite right on, on the iPad, but, but you can get the drift. Let me ask you a question. Is deputation broken? Why does the average missionary spend three years traveling around the country asking churches for their support? Deputation is not broken. Deputation is a wonderful ministry of creating lifelong relationships. And I'll give you the formula. Uh, the average missionary that comes with Baptist World Mission is not just out of Bible college. They're a young couple in their early, early 30s. If they take on average three years, let's say they're 30 years of age, and they take three years to create very strong relationships with a multitude of churches who can pray for them and support them, and then they spend 40 years on the field, is it worth the three years to prepare properly for 40 years? Do the math. It is very, very wise. That's why we've got to have them committed to a lifetime of service in the will of God. So I have this statement, preparing to become a New Testament missionary takes time. This preparation in most cases will take a number of years, but the missionary who is properly prepared will be ready for a lifetime of service. From the call to the field, God has called me to be a missionary, what now? It is time for lunch. So I'm going to pray. If you have questions, you can ask those later. We'll be glad to uh, fill in any of the things that I may have missed, but thank you so much for partnering with Baptist World and agencies like Baptist World who can come alongside and help you get your missionaries to the field. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that it's been profitable. Lord, I pray that the churches would understand the great value of the deputation process. I pray that churches would understand the great value of the furlough process and that churches and missionaries would do it biblically, Lord. We pray to you as the Lord of the harvest that you would send forth labors for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. 
If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.